Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 320 of Cyclocross Radio. On this show, we're talking about the world championships, and b- before you fast forward, this isn't, I'm not going to plug much stuff here, it's, or, or anything really at all, just uh, wanted to chat for a second, more of a prologue than an intro, so just uh, stick with me, and and. While I was editing this episode, it, it struck me that what I really enjoy about having this podcast and having had this podcast for so long and having Zach and Michael be a part of this podcast is that we can kind of come up with these ideas that maybe aren't necessarily exactly the mainstream idea or different ideas, and we can bring them to the podcast and discuss them and uh I will sit there and be in the shower or driving and riding my bike and thinking about these things. And I'm going, this is something I want to talk about on the podcast. And then I'll get there. And kind of like the first idea I have in this podcast when I was going back and editing, I was being one of the people who who would be listening to this saying, Bill... I don't think you're right, or I don't think you're on the mark with 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 exactly what you want to say here, or how you want to, uh, if this is a good idea, and and that's strangely what I enjoy. Not always being spot on about these things and and having a, a conversation about about the topics, and that, that's all to say that I want you all to be more of this conversation, and, and and we talk about the Slack channel a lot, and that's a that's a great place to have. A back and forth with uh, subscribers to the bulletin. But another thing that happens is that Zach or I will write something in the bulletin and then you all will comment on it, which is fantastic. I love it. And we, we respond to all of those comments. But the, the problem is that, that is, is sometimes the method in which those comments come to us. And what will happen is that you will get this email with a new bulletin article in your inbox and you will read it. You will take the time to read it and thank you for doing that. And then you will have a really great comment or, or, or just a question or a conversation starter and you will reply to that email and then that comes back to us. But only to us. So Zach and I are the only ones, only people who ever see your comment. And we'll have a conversation with you, but it's it's more of a one-on-one conversation. And what I would love, instead of just the reply to the Substack email, what I would love for you to do is go to the actual website, the Substack website or the Substack app, and leave a comment. Because when you leave the comment, then it's public. Then we can have a larger conversation. Then we get other voices than me or Zach who can chime in on your question or your comment. And that's that's kind of what we're, we're, we're aiming for. That's, that's what we want to see, more of that bigger conversation. So maybe I lied a little bit about not plugging anything, but it's just a normal thing. Go, go subscribe to the, the CX Harris Bulletin. Uh, you, you can do it now. We're going to continue to write. We got people uh, lined up outside of Zach and myself, again, more voices, exactly what I'm talking about, uh, who are, who are going to be writing for the, for the bulletin. And, and I look forward to their contribution. So go to cxairs.substack.com, sign up for the bulletin. If you like an article or you don't like an article and you want to say something about it, leave a comment on the actual page. That's it. 
spent a lot of time in Europe this past season and a full domestic calendar before that. And I, I guess as, as my uh, pre-show plugs, I want to plug two people who are just the absolute road dogs of domestic and international cyclocross. Danny Wong, who you all should know, did all the videos for the for USA Cycling, all the um, race recaps. Was it between the tape, beyond the tape, behind the tape? Uh, those things. Uh, he, he did those. But he also does a lot of stuff on his own. He does team stuff. He does uh, gravel stuff. But uh, go over to in- Instagram, Danny Wong. Go follow him. Give him a follow. He's... Uh, around Europe right now and went to Worlds. Did some amazing work at Worlds, but not credential, just just on his own, which was was super cool. I love I love seeing his, his stuff. So go follow him. And then uh, Ethan Glading, another guy, uh, the penultimate stage on Instagram. He is based in Paris. Uh, his family moved there I think five years ago now. So he is at all of these European races. He covers them all for USA Cycling and then does, you know, has photos of all the other riders and everything else is immersed in that scene. He's a a known entity in these Belgian media rooms. Uh, So so follow Ethan as well. And um, let's do this. It's episode 320 of Cyclocross Radio. We're in the media pit with Michael and Zach. We're talking about the world championships that happen in Tabor, Chechia. And we're doing all of that right now. We're back in the media pit. Coming in a little late this week. Uh, just um, travel and everything else in the world just coinciding to push us back to to a Thursday record, but I don't know. It seems like it's in the rear view, yet we're still going to put the car in reverse <laughs> and go um, talk about the world championships. Bill, I was wondering maybe we we're doing it on Thursday because after you left Tabor, you went skiing or maybe you went snowboarding or possibly you went and played golf. I don't know. These seem to be popular things to do after Worlds. Yeah, I feel like I missed out. I didn't, I didn't, you know, the, the people that didn't get the memo, I guess I'll race them all together. <laughs> Park cross. <laughs> um, I, I, hey, Zach. Hello. <laughs> just, um, I don't know. Should we just like, just jump into the, to the, to the world championships? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I have a I, I, I have a um I have a potential jumping off point here for us. Um there, from Sven Ness all the way down, you heard some version of this was a, a boring track or just the way it's set up without like, you know, it was just like a, a power contest, like we've seen a lot of this year. Um but it wasn't like a world championship course. Did y'all hear that as as well? That kind of criticism out there in the world. 
I did not hear that the track was not world championship level. I heard that the race was quote unquote boring. I saw that Sven quote or a translation of that quote. Um, but no, I didn't actually hear the track wasn't good because it's, I mean, the track was to bore, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of the same. I, what I, here's what I was thinking is that, yes, it was not exciting racing necessarily, but I think that sometimes there is, um, and maybe there wasn't, but there, there can be, uh, too much attention to where the racing is taking place and the venue versus the actual racing. And, you know, with the Super Bowl this weekend, I was thinking, do we do this in any other sport? If, if it is a blowout, we say the field that they were playing on was not a, was not a Super Bowl worthy field. And therefore this, this game was boring. If we had played this game somewhere else against these two teams, then it would have been an exciting game. Yet we were playing in this dome versus that dome, and therefore it was a boring. Like no other sport does this. Well, wasn't was it last Super Bowl where the where the turf was was tearing up because they like carted it in, and it was like I don't know if they're saying it was boring and that it would change in a different venue, but there there are sort of critiques on the venues sometimes. But I think I I think I get your point, Bill. But it's not set up. But the but it's not like the fifty yard lines in a different place. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's not like there's a sand pit on the 30 and we don't have and, yeah, and, they're not and mud on the mud in the end zone. They're not playing the the sort of like baseball football field anymore like combination. Right. It's all pretty standard. Right. Yeah. It's all pretty standard. You I mean granted yes, the turf can suck some places. I I get that, but the the, the point is it's pretty standard what you're racing on and I think that we sometimes uh just obsess over the the what they have to race versus who's racing and i think it more comes down to if it's going to be boring or not as i you know we like to say all the time the racers make the race it's it's that and i, I just thought it was an interesting comparison to like other other sports yeah i mean we love to do other sports comparisons that's part of our uh you know nba other sports that's kind of what we do here but Right. I mean, that's part of the beauty of cycling is, is a dynamic thing. It's like golf, like each course is different. That's, you know, an aspect of golf that like some courses are harder than others and you can create different kinds of gameplay. If it's like, you know, the PGA tournament versus like, you know, the masters that play on the same course every year. Um, and, and that's part of what we like, but I, you know, it's interesting, uh, because, we have, we have some good data. Thanks to our friends at cyclocross 24 and guys, this to, Worlds has been at Tabor four times this millennium. It is the leader in the clubhouse. Uh, Huger Heider is third. And so I've been doing some numbers. I've been crunching the numbers. I am so back on doing what I used to do. Uh, I know it's been been a little bit of time away. There's going to be a post up at the bulletin by the time you're listening to this. Maybe you will have already read it. Um, but I was looking at just men's and women's elite, uh, elite winning margins. I think that was you know some talk here. And we have a good data set. We have four races. Uh, and Tabor, uh, so I, you know, you could like do the average, which I kind of throw out, right? Because like that can be really skewed if you have one banger that's a sprint and one that's like a four minute margin on average. But I said, all right, wh- what was the, the, the closest, what was the closest of the least, what was the closest least close race, right? So in this race, we had winning margins of 120 for Van Van Ampel and 37 seconds for Vanderpool. So the best race you were going to get, 37 seconds. So two of the biggest, two of the top four biggest, most 
uncompelling years in the last 25 years were at Tabor. But you know what? The fourth most, like, the fourth most compelling year with a sprint finish. And another year with a sprint finish. So we had two other times where at least one of the races had a sprint finish. So you know what? I don't know if it's the course. I don't think it's the course. It may be that we had two really, 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 really good people racing. And we kind of were expecting them to kind of kick the crap out of everyone. And they did. What were the years of the of the two good uh, So the good two races. Tabors were 2015. Uh, so that would have been the elite women's race that was Fran Prevost won by one second. And then 2001, the men's race was decided by one second. And I have no idea who that was. And then what were the other years in between that? So 2001. 2014. Yep, so 2000, 2010. Yeah. 15. Okay. Uh, was 21 seconds was the closest margin for the men. So it was then, 2000, 2001, 2010, 2014, 2024. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I've got way no, more gonna, of these was, stats. I've got way more oh, trivia no, no, stats no, 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 to come. I, was, I just I want was, to let everyone know that like we're just getting started, but we have some numbers to say that Tabor can be good, compelling. It can also have blowouts. Maybe what it depends I like it on wasn't what I was, what I was getting at. It wasn't like the first two were good and ah. then the next two weren't because then you could say, well, the, cho- the, the, the venue changed, the course changed between one and two and three and four. But that's, I think there were changes for all of those, but there were, at least it wasn't, you know, a leapfrog. So that's good. Well, so talking about the course, you know, Bill, you were on the ground. Um, I think like, you know, one way that, the drone really, and some of this footage that they were using, this course just looked brutal. It looked so hard. Like just that, the, well, the decide, the place that they decided to not put cameras after the stairs where winning moves were made left and right, that they just decided to not have cameras, but like just seeing how steep it was coming into that and watching like Puck's video and seeing how steep it was coming mm-hmm. out of that. This just looked hard. Yeah, it was definitely one of those, pedaling downhill courses but the i think the 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 type of mud that we had and we didn't think it was gonna be that muddy yeah because it it rained some and then it rained more and then it like stopped raining and it it was kind of cold and damp enough that it didn't dry you know so it wasn't it wasn't there was some wind but there wasn't enough wind just to take all the moisture out and then you just got big ruts you know so it was still this thick rideable mud it was the type of thing like i think it was more i think it was more unrideable outside of the actual track like where all the people were it was one of those if you didn't have your shoes tied on real tight you were losing your shoes like just walking around the venue because you would just suck in and then you couldn't pull your foot back out that's that that's what people were dealing with so it looked yeah that's why you know we started with the junior women's race and they get through lap one and the announcer's like two laps to go and like oh three laps race but i mean it it was legit you know it was it was taking them that long to 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 get around that thing it was super super tough so it's like louisville 2018 by the end, by the time the weekend, I mean, that was that kind of mud, right? Super thick, like yeah, shoes but, falling but rideable. Off. Okay. But you weren't, there were, you know, you I meant like outside. I was thinking, I guess for, yeah. uh, I was thinking, oh about, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking yeah. about you, Bill. I was thinking about you and Ethan and the other photographers trying to get around this place. Oh, <laughs> like, you were definitely like, um, when you were at the 
top of the hill for the planks and wanting to make your way back down to the hill, you know, you were tempting fate if you were putting your feet straight in front of you going down that because you were just going to end up on your butt. You know, it was, it was just, it was sidestepping all the way, all the way down there. Cause it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty treacherous getting around there. Yeah. Speaking of that, just the, the course conditions in that course and, and they had a camera angle we hadn't seen before, which was a sort of tracking shot next to the barriers. And that once I finally saw that, I was like, Oh wow, that is crazy steep. And it also gave you an idea of how slow it was. And I think that to me kind of changed. I think, I think, it's you're talking about bill how the you know we don't blame the course you know but like that is also the cool thing about cross is that those conditions change the type of racing i don't know if it changed results but it it like it looks such a such such a harder track than i sort of thought it was going to be it being to bore um in those conditions um yeah yeah and it's good that that you get that shot can i I, did they have that same shot in the men's elite race? Yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think so. I'll bet it was shorter, though. I'll bet the guy didn't run along as much. I, I, I say that because the what they, they, they have, so the world championships, they've been doing this. They did it at Hoger Heide um, last year, and they did here. They actually do it at a lot of these world championships where there's, there's a safety barrier. So you have your course, you have metal barriers, and then you have like a meter, and then you have a second metal barrier. And then for media, or not media, photographers, we're allowed to go between those two barriers and sort of move around, which is is super nice. Um, What we were kind of witnessing starting in the women's race was that they had those cool like three-tier Thunderdome um, stadium, not seating, standing like you didn't sit on it, but just the, the 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 bleachers on each side, and they had a um, so, sort of a scrim on it, just just sort of a sheet, <laughs> like a fabric that went on the bottom one that was keeping people out from the safety zone, and, and we're just looking at that, you know, and it's like the. The beginning of the day on Sunday with a big crowd, and uh, you know, you see like one little kid that's kind of uh, squeezed his way through there into the safety zone is there, and then you know during the uh, women's U twenty three race, you saw well, okay, now there are ten people in there, and they're not all kids anymore. And then by the men's elite race, you know, and you got like these stewards, you can't blame them, you know, even if they had like a whole police force. Once it started, you weren't clearing those people out. So there was one side, I think on the, like the right side of the barriers that was just like, that was, we were done. Like we couldn't use that anymore because it was just like overrun with people. And then they started coming on the other side. I think they were protecting that more for that camera. But I think like his run just kept getting shorter and shorter because the people just kept like pouring in down there, which, um, I never went there, so it didn't bug me that much. I kind of like, I kind of enjoyed just watching the chaos and just the the fans overrunning it because it looks, I don't know, I think it looks that much cooler with them right up there on the barriers. I understand why you don't want it, but at the same time, it was just, uh, it was just kind of funny how that that all of all of these measures that they put into place, you know, eventually it's just gonna it's gonna end. So how was the crowd? Because I think 
you know, as spectators, we're pretty spoiled uh, with Huger Haida was just the most crazy. And every time I look at photos of that, I regret herniating a disc in my back and not being able to go to that event because I'm not sure that that'll ever happen again uh, in terms of that level of crowd. So, like, you know, on, on the scale of, like, Ostenda, which had a few people on the high rises looking out, you know, Fayetteville. I'm just thinking of worlds I've been to. Bowensa, Huger Haida, this. What was, the, what was the crowd? What was the size? Because it, it, it didn't look that big, but also Tabor's, like, a crazy long drive for people from, from Belgium and the Netherlands. So... It was, I was try, I, I was thinking about this, and and, and with Hoger Haida, it was insane, you know, and it wasn't four deep on the barriers. It wasn't ten deep on the barriers. It was fifty deep on the barriers. So like you you couldn't move. You just couldn't move, and that's that was the cool thing about taking those taking those photos and you can see in the footage. It's just a sea of people. It looked like a concert, you know. You just like had your spot, and it might have been in the middle of the field. And you weren't moving. Like nobody was moving anywhere. You couldn't, like, that's, that's, you know, we talked about it last year. If you were trying to shoot the finish line, you had to give yourself like a lap and a half to get there. If you were even just on the hill at the, at the start of the, the finishing straight, just to make it up there because nobody was moving because there was nowhere for them to move. You know, they weren't being rude. They were just like, there was nowhere to go. So you just had to like shove your way through people. And so on, on Saturday at, Hoger Haida, I think that there were significantly less people, still a huge crowd, but significantly less people than there were on Sunday. And I think you you nailed that exactly right, Zach, in that people didn't have to get like a hotel in Hoger Haida and then stay there and then go to both days. They were just driving from the 80 per, 90% of the people were just driving from their house both days, right? They were doing an hour drive, whatever it was, to go to the races. And people just decided, eh, I may not want to go on Saturday. I'll just go on Sunday. You would think in, in Tabor, that's not the case. Like you're either, you know, maybe people just stayed in Prague and just sort of did some sightseeing on Saturday versus Sunday, but pretty much you had a good idea of what Sunday was going to look like from Saturday. It, it was still less. But it wasn't like jam packed, and that's how Sunday was as well. Still, really good crowd, but you're never touching. You're never touching Hoger Hyde again. I mean, that was just insane. Like you could, you could move around wherever. You might not be able to get like right up onto the barrier, but you could go wherever you wanted to go in Tabor on both days. Well, we are in Holst in 2026, so I am going to. Pray and hope that Wow decides and Machu, they decide one last time, you know, it's in the Netherlands, uh, it's very accessible, I don't really want to go to Ostenda, so I'm just going to hope and pray for two years from now, I can go to a really cool world with a lot of people. <laughs> do, we know what the, do we know what the venue is going to be for Holst? Is it going to be the windmill venue? Oh, I have no idea. I just looked at who's hosting and noticed. Yeah, I, I, I feel like, they, you know, they used to, they had the other venue before that they don't use anymore. And then they moved to the windmill venue. I don't think that's, I don't think they're set up hmm. to have worlds. It would be insane. I mean, it was, it was impossible to move there this year. I can't imagine. Well, but the one during worlds. the pan, the pandemic one was a, just a, that was a one-off because like that, I think the old Holst was the vent was the the the, the windmill. Yeah, and then they did the one by the water, Cause right? The, they, well, because they got of, kicked out of the city center. That was like a desperation okay. thing. That wasn't like we want to move it here. It was like they got kicked out during the pandemic, I think. Well, that'd be interesting if that is the world's 
Oh, venue. Wait, where's where's next year? Ostenda? No, next year is no, in it's Levin, in Levant. I made the mistake of trying to in, pronounce in France. France. Okay. Yes, it's it's in France. Okay. It's near Roubaix. It's up in the northeast corner, up near Roubaix. So that is still, um, and also the uh, the where the VIP tent was, where the the cool like off camber stuff is after the huge flyover for Tabor. It's kind of the infield. It's on the baseball field. I was I was making the comment to Ethan. I was like, if this was in America, if this was like from the high school level up, there was no way that the baseball coach who <laughs> reigned over that field would have for a second allowed to happen. What I mean, you can just tell like how baseball doesn't matter <laughs> in Europe in that they were able to just like desecrate this uh, infield. Like that would have been like, th- there would have been people just, yeah, like murdering people. If that was like a college field or I mean, it wouldn't have been a major league, but even high school, like just just knowing baseball coaches and world. But here, it was like, no problem. We'll just uh, tear this thing to pieces. So, I, before we get to the racing, Bill, did you eat at the restaurant? Did, can we get a restaurant review? The no. <laughs> Which uh, restaurant? That's a restaurant, isn't it? the The opening part of the lap. I, I that's what Google says. It says it's the restaurant for like. The, the 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 part the first part of the course that's completely pointless that just goes back and forth in front of that building which it it says it's a restaurant I don't know is Google led me astray oh, I, I think that's the it's well it probably is a restaurant but it's it's the restaurant in the in the baseball diamond right yes yeah yes that yeah, no I don't think it was I don't think it was open for business ah uh, okay uh so I don't know we took care of like the important stuff I guess we should go to broadcast corner I mean I, one one area they were getting dragged was broadcast corner and I mean people were calling for the head of whomever was running the truck and doing the directing but I think the problem was they didn't have cameras everywhere I mean we were seeing long and we were seeing like USCX level shots of like back markers of like down to 20 I was like for the first at first it's like oh that's cool show you know it's the world maybe everyone from like Slovenia and America wants to spot their rider and be like but I think it quickly became apparent that they didn't have a camera, especially at the top of the stairs where a lot of stuff happened. Like, say, I don't know, some winning moves in in uh, both races, maybe. And so I don't know. I I felt like maybe maybe the race the the director of the TV feed was maybe being a little maligned because uh, also maybe they blew it on the camera front. But then I guess that's Bill. You might know this. Like, who runs? Who makes these decisions? Where does the money come for the UCI broadcast? Was that that's not Flanders? So who? How is this happening? And how did they screw it up? Well, it's it's not Flanders. I'm pretty sure that it's a Czech team that was doing the broadcast. But I did see a lot of like FLCS, which is the Flanders um, sort of technical broadcast people running, you know, I saw those windbreakers running around. So they were there. I don't know if they were like consulting or what, but those people were there, but it was, so they had a camera at the top of that Hill, but I guess it just couldn't make it all the way down to the stairs. Is that what you're, well, no, they, not the stairs by the restaurant. There were like the steep stairs, the super steep stairs after the opening section. 
well, basically where Vanderpool made his winning winning move, I'm using air quotes, and I think where Vanderpool or uh, Van Empel actually got a gap too. But it was like they showed him at the stairs, and then we just kept watching everyone come to the stairs because there was no camera there you know it goes up and then i think based on puck's video kind of like goes down and winds around it just seems like they were missing a spot of camera coverage or the director would did a really bad job <laughs> yeah or like you said they were like let's get in some other nations at the beginning of the broadcast let's show the you know the canadians the americans the japanese you know maybe that was what it was that was a direct yeah, choice yeah i mean like no one would make a winning move five minutes into the race that couldn't happen you know although with the the women's lap times i mean it's like a quarter eighth of the race had already gone by or whatever but no one could no one could be making a move that early we'll have good compelling racing the rest of the way no problem away so the the interesting thing that they did with the cameras which i thought was different is that they they kind of platform stacked them so for instance you had one camera. You had this this uh, camera platform, like at the top of the hill where the planks were, and you had a lower camera that we were yelled at a lot if we didn't get down if we were taking that shot. That was, I think, aimed right at just pretty much at that climb, and then I think they swung around and got them going around the corner, and then. On top of him, like six feet above them on another platform was another camera. And I think that that camera was the one capturing a lot all the way across the field. Hmm. Like it was like up on high and just going super long and trying to get like a lot of that coverage and then swinging around. So when they came up the staircase and then ran all the way to, to the top of that hill, like that camera was covering them coming down. And they had the same thing at the finish. So they had one camera on the platform that was covering the finish, the whole finishing stretch, and then a second camera there that I have to guess was like spinning around and getting them coming over the flyover before pit two and then swinging back around and getting that long uh, kind of like puddly swell Section, your guys' favorite section, my which which is so funny because I always forget it's there when you're there live because it's in a it's in a just a no it's in a nothing part of the course like you don't even go there. So I like it. I didn't even shoot that because I like it looks great on TV, but I I was like, oh yeah, there's that that part of it, <laughs> the famous swale. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so we spent like 25 minutes talking about everything but the racing. I'm starting to get the feeling, guys, that uh, the media pit wasn't super compelled by the uh, race. I feel like we, you know, if this was last year, we probably like couldn't get over ourselves to talk about Vanderpool and Wowed or like any of the other previous like seven iterations of the elite women's race. We'd be like stepping over each other to talk about the race. Hot take. Hot take. Relay race. Best race of the best race of the weekend. Uh, I don't know that I watched every single race, so I, I think that might be a, a, a might be kind of a cold take, Bill. I think I agree with you. Like I mean that was that was a fun race to watch. I actually 
was more excited about that and there was more that i am always excited about the relay race because there's so much like that goes into it which order do you start your riders i came into the broadcast halfway and i was like wait so you know are american men are we did are they left are they going next like i think there's a lot you can do with that style of race and i did notice that they had their numbers had letters that that signified their category i believe um it was no no it was their lap Oh, so was it? It was the order, so you could technically know yeah. what lap yeah. they were on by their number. Okay, yeah. So, relay race, best race of the weekend. I just strategy wise. Yeah, I mean, the, the Brits had it like dialed. It didn't work out in the end. But starting Zoe on lap one, just just such a just badass move. Who did she go against? Like who who did the because. Where are the results? Because it's not on Cyclocross 24. I hate that. Um, it is, but it's just a, it, it is a PDF. So um, it was Remy Leylandais for France, Zoe Backstead, Arthur Vandeboer, who's like ah. stud, you know, junior racer, um, Tyler Clark, uh, Filippo Agnostic, basically all dudes, all dudes except for Zoe. Like Funston uh-huh. was out there, um, and I th- is she I, she basically held serve on that. Okay, right? I mean she she wasn't, you know she was she was off the back, but not like horribly so. And then they were able to just crawl back into it, and then it came down to, you know, you're giving Cam Mason uh, a seven second deficit to to make up in his lap against a junior racer and um you know he almost did it lost it in a lost it in a in a sprint like a, a basically a photo finish so yeah that was i still don't think the relay racing is the most compelling racing but because you look at it's almost like you look at it at the end and you go oh this is what it, look what happened that was really cool but i don't know if you're necessarily getting that while it's happening except for you know it just sets up for that last lap it's it's almost it's almost like crit racing right they, they did all of that to set up for that for that last lap what if you had see here the thing is i think with the the relay is there's just there's there's what? There's ten riders on the course at one time. It's not enough people. So you could technically have, you could have A and B teams from each country if you wanted to do it based on country. I mean, you know, we're we're getting the, the Saudis are possibly investing money into road cycling with the One Cycling League. Maybe they invest money into a new breakaway uh, relay cross league. And we just have well, like let's, let's take let's take all of the Saudi investments and put them into one, and you could have best ball relay. So you could have your two teams, and then you take the team that did better, and then they just you know both people go once that person finishes. I like this. Look at this. See, this is this is what got the juices flowing on the podcast was the relay. Um, one thing also was cool about the relay at the end though was was you know Aubin holds off Mason at the line and the entire French team is there. You have Helene, Clausel, you know, it, the kid is like absolutely whipped and stoked and, and, and the team's all there and they're giving hugs. That's You get a lot of, you know, we don't see that in cyclocross. Um, so that was a cool aspect. I, I thought it was good. I liked it. Next, next, uh, next best race, Junior women? 
You know, you had your favorites. You had Kat Ferguson out there. I thought it was uh, looking like she was going to take the win. Ended up, um, you know, uh, Celia Jere. I'm not going to be able to pronounce that all. I'm very sorry. Um, you know, winning that one. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm just grasping for straws. We just talked about the elite races. I just want to point out that third place in that race, the Slovakian Victoria Klau. Cla- I don't Claude Donova is a uh, has been on the uh, Bodie streak tweet, um, and she's only 18 year old, and she's won a couple races in a row, so possibly could be a hitter coming up uh, in the ranks. Watch out for her. Zoe Backstead winning was was super cool to see. I think that was a that was a fun one to watch, but uh, probably the highlight of that race was uh, Christina Zemanova. Finishing second, probably the biggest um, cheer of the weekend, only capped by uh, Stiebar in his final lap. So the a good a good day for the for the actually you know good weekend for the checks. You know second in the women's U twenty three, third in the men's junior race. You know not 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 too shabby for the for the home squad. Izzy Holmgren fourth U twenty three, first year U twenty three. Uh, statement racer, um, as we've called her before. I mean, I think we we saw she's had some good performances this year. Um, she's come up big in some of these races, and so I think I don't know. Just I think it's worth noting. You know, she beat Marie Schreiber, someone who I would have picked for definitely on the podium, possibly winning the race. Has held their own in World Cups, elite races. So, yeah, thank you, Izzy, for uh, keeping uh, North America. In the mix, yeah, I was hoping for. I mean, Schreiber and Evie, or um, not Evie, Schreiber and why am I blanking? Zoe, Schreiber and Zoe were pretty much even in the head-to-head this season. I think it was like eight-seven. I mean, it was like super close. So, yeah, I was a little bit bummed to see that there wasn't a closer race uh, between those two. But you know, you know I think who else? You know who else was bummed? Marie Schreiber. Okay. She was not a happy camper coming over that line. Yeah. I mean, she had aspirations to to win the race and she was, I mean, could have made an argument that she was one A or one B of the two favorites and, you know, but it's about delivering. And, but I think like, I mean, I, I don't know. I think like a course like that, that is that challenging can really show who has, it can, it's it's like it's focusing in terms of like your focus and your preparation and stuff because it's not it's not like the kind of course like Fayetteville where you go out ride your bike and oh you lost because you you mistimed the sprint or whatever it's like you have to be on your stuff you have to be racing well you have to be able to deal with suffering for you know forty to sixty minutes or whatever um, so in a way like a course like that I think really does bring out the best and you know I think Zoe probably a course that favored her. It was very thick and, you know, she's a very powerful rider, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just like one of those things that, you know, make the argument do well about how the course was or whatever. But I think like there's those days where you really have to be on your game and, you know, everything coming together at worlds is very much a one day thing and you have to be, you have to be on it. Should we just, and I don't know, maybe this was burying the lead a little bit, but should we just um, move to the women's elite and just uh, let, Bodie, from what I understand, reading the Slack channel, Bodie just bask in the glory of, I believe, calling 
all five correctly? That you did I call off? I I actually couldn't remember. I I I think I think somebody I think there was a yeah I think I think you we can go back and check but somebody was tracking it and and I, think I do remember did, watching did. the race and this is part of the reason why I hate picking before because then I root against the riders who I really wouldn't root against but like when Puck was in second I was like no come on Brand like come on Brand you got to go to beat Puck because I picked Brand in second I hate that. Because I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't, like, I don't have favorites really, and I kind of want to have a good race. But yeah, I got that one correct. And uh, Verdun shot. I mean, you called Verdun, Verdun shot. You called your, you, you called your Verdun shot. I called that one. Yeah, Amazing. I called my Verdun shot. <laughs> well, I mean, kudos to you, sir, for not overreacting and you know making the pick of Blancavache. Obviously, wasn't able to race due to uh, illness. And uh, I don't, I, I kind of don't like myself because I've been on the Verdon shot train, you know, for so long. And then it's, I, it's brand all over again, Zach. I am too. You know what? For someone who is all about the numbers and who's like, let's, you know, it's just Mr. Let's bring math and science to, to the, to, to cyclocross. I am too easily swayed uh, by the hot pick and this. I don't know. Someone <laughs> coworker brought like the squares by the other day. He's like, do you gamble? And I was like, God, no. And this is why I don't gamble is because I would lose all my money. <laughs> I'm not even doing squares. I'm not even doing office squares because I know it's just throwing money away. So Ver- Verdon shot coming. If we're going to play this game for coming in for the first uh, non red, white and blue flag. So, um, and first non non Dutch. So good for her. And then I think our, you know, Casasola, the, the wins race, it was kind of, it's kind of exactly what, what we thought was going to happen. Michael, the, the quad squad, uh, you know, held up their end of the bargain. Yeah. They sort of, they got it done sort of how we thought, I mean, it was going to be that way, but you know, there was just thinking about the race. Like there was some racing to be had. The Brandon puck were going back and forth. We didn't speak in a broadcast corner. I never saw the move from brand overtaking puck. I don't. And, you know, I guess puck just didn't have it still kind of feeling sick from before. Um, this kind of, this is the kind of track that really like, if you don't got that sort of, that power, that deep reserve of power, then yeah, you're not going to be able to survive. And, and um, I'll just keep going back to Brand being a badass for breaking her nose and racing. But you know, Verdon shot and Casola was making Casasola was making a move up. You know, she almost caught Verdon shot, and then we saw Verdon shot take a better line in like one of those muddy corners, and that kind of that was that. That was the gap was opened. You had, I mean, we had Magalie Rochette in fifth at one point. She was chasing hard. There was a lot of like good, there were some good battles in the back. And I think I will say, I felt like I did get to see a lot of those happen. So I will critique the broadcast crew, but I will also say, hey, they did a good job covering those stories because Femme was off the front and she was solo and we didn't need to see that. So yeah, I mean, so in t- yeah, the race, not that was exciting, but good battles that happened down below um, the quad squad. And yeah, I think, some some solid rides from some of these folks, you know. I think that Magalie Rochette, 10th place, you know, like I said, was in the fifth spot, looking good. Um, Got to be proud of that. Hansinger, eighth. You know, Sarah Casasola has a really good season. She finished sixth at Worlds. Uh, I think that's that's a strong result. Also, Verdon shot fifth once again. Like, I think, I think everybody in the Bulletin, like, universe, like, loves to see it. 
All right, so I got some trivia for you guys. Trivia question, perhaps number one. Okay. Uh, so, and we'll see. We'll see if you guys read my race report. Um, this race had the second, the second highest winning margin in the history of the elite women's race. That's twenty five years. Elite Which race and who? You can probably guess who just by stats. But which race was the biggest beatdown? Which is kind of interesting when we talk about. I, th- there's some levels to this. Kind of interesting when we talk about like races being compelling and how we feel about them. And maybe that gives this away a little bit. Biggest beatdown in women, elite women's history. Well, <clears throat> I did read your race report, but uh, I guess I didn't read it closely enough. But I'm going to say I, I, I'm just going to put it. Go out on a limb and say it was Mariana Voss. Yeah, stats for the win. Which race <laughs> uh, was it? That's going to be the harder one. I, For the life of me, I I don't know that I could tell you which one. I kind of gave it a little bit of, you know, like I gave it away a little bit with like the little extraneous information that I just gave. What was your... Which, extra- which, which race in cyclocross lore was the most amazing event in the history of cyclocross that's ever cyclocrossed that will be revered uh, by, by men I'm and women. Guess that she did it. I'm going to guess that she did it in Louisville, Kentucky. She did. She destroyed Katie Compton by a minute and a half, minute 34. So I don't, I think that throws some, some cold water on this idea that like somehow, the most important thing is that closer. I don't right. Like people still talk. Like people will be talking about Louisville fifty years from now. Like you know, super mm. rookie Tim and Spencer will be back in <laughs> Minneapolis on a porch somewhere. You know, being like, oh, remember the phone party? <laughs> and one of the two races there was the biggest beatdown in elite women's history. So this race uh, trivia question number two was the third biggest winning margin. Of this millennium, men and women, what was the biggest beatdown this millennium? So, so this world's was the third biggest, uh, tied for third biggest winning margin. It tied with uh, Vanderpool's evisceration of Wout at Dubendorf. I just like using these like, these words. For... <laughs> Actually, he didn't eviscerate Wout because Wout didn't even get on the podium uh, at Dubendorf Worlds. Wait, so what, what's your what's what's your question again? What's the biggest beatdown of the twentieth cent of the twenty first century at Cyclocross Worlds? Men and women. Yep. Well, yeah, because uh, Voss was number two uh, when she destroyed Katie Compton under her. So SPDs. it's Vanderpool. Okay. Is not. Oh. Give me a clue. Hmm. Give me. Give me. Was um, it a? Was it a Belgian? It was a Belgian. Uh, I mean, you can imagine just think about like kind of like the conditions that might be required to create just like a very large winning margin. Was it like a Coke cider? No, but it's 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 Mm. within it's within recent memory. You would remember it. It's of like it was after Louisville. Falkenberg. Yes. Oh, nice. All right. That was a shot in the dark. (laughs) Wout destroyed Michael Van Turnout by two minutes, 13 seconds. 
uh, which only ranks as the fifth highest, fifth biggest winning margin. I mean, you want to talk about boring. Albert's Weifel won the 1979 Worlds <laughs> by four minutes. Wow. <laughs> there were three races in the 1960s. You want to talk about cyclocross being boring. Three races that didn't come within two and a half minutes. Well, that's because mm. they're just a bunch of plumbers racing each other. Well, there you go. Thank you, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, Zach, do you have any other trivia questions that's maybe easier well, or less? Here, well, here, here's I do have more for the men's race. Okay, but I'll here's here's a here's a here's. Can I ask one trivia question? Because I found this interesting. Uh, Clara Hansinger, great finish, eighth place. What is Clara Hansinger's best world championship elite finish? Fourth at Ostenda. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. It almost gets forgotten. Because this was her best in the last three years. Hmm. Interesting. But, uh, yeah. So who has the... Uh, I guess Katie Compton exists. Actually, I don't... I was trying to think of, like, who would be... Have the best non-Katie Compton, best Hansinger finish at Worlds. It was Katie Keogh. She finished, like, seventh at... Somewhere, Bonesa maybe. For the women, yeah, yeah, for the for the elite women. Uh, so I I looked at like so I was also trying to define all kind of numbers. I guess I have numbers for today. So it's like just an interesting little stat that I was trying to define. All right, you know, you have the winning margin. I was like, what makes a banger? And I picked this arbitrary number of five seconds. It's like uh, five seconds or less. And I actually found that I was like, this was the the, and I, I realized. And you can read this at the bulletin. I'll send it out to everyone that like some races, like, you know, talk about Valkenberg. That was a 12 second winning margin, but that was a banger, right? Katie Compton was winning going into the belt lap. That was a compelling race. Bowensa was super compelling. You know, you had uh Sonic Kant being chased around by the entire Dutch Federation. She won by like eight seconds. So it doesn't qualify. Um, but the, in the last 20 years, 25 years, there have actually been more men's races within five seconds than the elite women. So 10 to eight, uh, which I found interesting, right? Because there's just been, you can just list off how good the elite women's races have been over the past like eight or 10 years with the exception of the last two. Um, but still 16 of 25 have been within five, have had at least one race within 20, 25 seconds. So two and three, two out of every three world championships historically over the last, you're getting one good quote unquote banger. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, the last bit I want to do, we're talking about history. So you're talking about is Vanderpool. We can put some numbers to that. So I'm going to let you guys we'll play along at home here. We need to assign some values to world's podiums. So I was going with my numbers were 842, right? You know, eight for winning, four. But do you guys think that's okay? Like win, worth twice as much. Are we okay with this? I like it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... I, last year, uh, went on a big thing about the extended Lucinda brand uh, appreciation tweet. And Bodie, inspired by you, she's on a seven-year, seven-year podium streak. Right. Yeah. That's Not wins, necessarily, but a podium streak. You know, there's kids entering, like, first, second grade in the Netherlands wondering if Lucinda Brand's ever going to not finish on a podium. Uh at Worlds. Um, and, you know, so based on this, Lucinda Brand moves up into fourth place all time in terms of like, so by the scoring metric, Mariana Voss, obviously untouchable. 
Hanka Kupernagel, she won four times, finished second five times. Pretty good track record. Sonic Kant, six podiums, three wins. Lucinda Brand, you know, coming in, coming in fourth and really establishing her legacy in the sport. And, you know, although not necessarily the wins, right? I think Sonic Kant, you know, had the wins or whatever, and we'll remember her for, you know, winning three world championships. I would still argue she's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer in the Cyclocross Hall of Fame. And uh, I don't know. I just appreciate her longevity and that she just keeps doing the thing. And I think, you know, this is a year where she struggled, but with injury and breaking her nose, but now she delivered again. Lucinda Brand. I think we should appreciate it. Uh, and Femben Epple's already in the top 10. So she's already in like eighth with just two wins. So, you know, she's already looking. She could just walk away. She's not even, she is not even an elite racer by age yet. And she could just walk away from the sport. Probably be a second ballot Hall of Famer. Have we ever inducted anybody into the Cyclocross Hall of Fame? We did a whole bit on it. Maybe one yeah. or two did, years ago. Did, yeah, but but yeah, did yeah. we bring anybody in? That's a good question. Yeah, that's the thing. Okay. Well, maybe we could do this later. We've got a lot of we've got a lot of sweckuary <laughs> races. We definitely should. We should definitely. We should vote. start the the yeah. We should vote in the uh, a man we and need a woman. Some parameters. Is there is there some kind of like years after retirement thing that we want to do like with other Hall of Fames? That um, seems good. You get away a little bit of a little recency bias. You kind of kind of look back with a little clearer picture. Um, although, but then, you know, like, yeah, who, but that, but the problem then is it gets us out of our own generation pretty quick. Exactly. Yeah. Like, unless we do like a five years or something. Yeah. No, I mean, you definitely want to like talk about, you know, you want to trickle them in, you know, you, you, you know, you, you you want to talk about like a a Niels Albert or something. Yeah. We got to figure this out. We got to, and we got to have like the first ballot that we got to be doing it. Like when we were doing the baseball hall of fame, where we like the best of the best of the best. Uh, and so we'll talk a little bit. We can talk about that when we get to the men's race because we have the same calculations. That's a good. For that's the a good. That's too. a good slack. That's a good slack um, um, topic too for someone to start. Zach, well. Zach, do you have a name for this this sort of podium metric? The podium points. Like, what are we? What are you calling this? This this. Whatever. I don't this, have a name yet. Okay. I just you know I I came up with it. Uh, I mean I've been doing it. I think I did it a few years ago and I actually might've written about it at the bulletin or at least tangentially, I wrote about Vanderpool's place in history back when he had like a mere four world championships instead of six. Um, but it was kind of like looking at that and, you know, there's many, many generations, you know, this was the 75th anniversary of the men's race. So we have a lot more, uh, men's races to go by. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see, I think I want to hear who people's first ballot hall of famers are in baseball. That's, that is the sign of ultimate respect is like, are you a first ballot hall of famer? And I think that'd be a good place to start. And we can kind of go like, are you a hall? Of, you know, are you a hall of famer? If you can make, if you win, if you win worlds, are you a hall of famer? It's Delita de young. This and is a question. Pauline Ferran Prevost. Are they hall of famers? We have asked these questions and I just to review for folks. I think we said that, um, PFP Pauline was definitely the, yeah, she, she was, was a cycling the, the hall of famer. Yeah, maybe not CX. So that gives you a taste of how we might vote in a member. Um, okay, who had well, more? Who has more career elite wins, Felita De Young or Pauline Ferran Prevost? Felita, she does. Yeah, sixteen to nine. 
Yeah, no, Pauline doesn't. I, how many wins of of Pauline's are French wins, French national championships? Oh, I didn't look at that. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I was doing it at work, and I was counting. Don't tell my boss. I was doing it during a work meeting that I wasn't paying attention to, and I was counting really, really, really fast. <laughs> All right. Um, what do you- men's race? <laughs> Men's race. Men's race. <laughs> I, wait, you know, wait, one wait, thing, wait, I'm wait, glad what, that... What, I have, I have, yeah, before we... Let's transition to the men's race. I want to ask you guys, who's the best cyclocross racer in the world right now? Right now? Like today? After Worlds. Oh, After Worlds? Uh, I, I I think Matthew Vanderpoel. Hey, sure. I mean, he only won by 37 seconds. Fem Van Empel won by a minute 20. The math. The math. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 more than it's more than just the time on the clock. I I understand that. I'm joking. I am I am with you. <laughs> I don't um, know. I don't know. Fem Van Ampel's won five in a row. Matthew only won three in a row. So one, uh, you know. So Bill, we've talked about. I think that you were bringing up this point that in recent coming into worlds, we were seeing uh, showman Matthew Vanderpool. He was kind of like hanging out in the group, like. Uh, you know, like waiting for his spots to make his move. And it wasn't necessarily compelling racing, but like, cause you knew he was going to do the thing, but groups stayed together. It increased the time for him to make, say a mistake, like at uh, Ben and dorm. And, you know, the races were a little bit closer, um, but worlds is all about winning a Jersey. And, you know, there's no point, there's no showman points. Like you have to leave as little as you can to chance the day before, uh, in the elite women's race, I think it was Celine took the whole shot. And then like four seconds later, femme took the lead and then went as close to going wire to wire as you possibly can, except that she didn't win the whole shot. And so Vanderpool was like, I watched that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm literally just going to go wire to wire. Like, I'm just going to, like, go as hard as I can from the start of this race. And probably some of that is necessitated by this course. It was very hard. There was, when even when you're with people, you're kind of like, it's one of those where you're kind of racing the course, even if you're with people. Uh, kudos to Niels Vandeputta for sitting on his wheel for a couple minutes and giving it the old college try, the, the equivalent of a heat check. But I just thought it was interesting, guys, that Vanderpool just went for it. And he was like, I'm going to go as hard as I can. You can't even touch this. And I'm ending this race immediately. And it was over. You know, it was over. It was over as soon as Vanderpool was on his wheel. It was like, yeah, it's done. Fastest lap of anybody in the world championships. Matthew Vanderpool, lap one. I, wow. I, there's is is everything's come together. There are numbers to back up my feelings. Hmm, I best like in this. the world, I guess. So what I was I was curious about the lap times because I think I think you're absolutely right in what he he wanted to do he wanted you know it was it was Matthew Vandernopol that was kind of the, <laughs> the the goal for for this race and it, it, yeah you're, it, there was no there was no sitting in there was nothing there was like we're going to win this from the beginning we're going to make sure that even if a mistake is made you know we can still get back and 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 win the race so. Laps one, two, three, and four, even though the, they got slower. Like lap one was 918. Uh, lap two was 937. Lap three was 932. Lap four was 942. Even at 942, that's like 30 seconds slower than his first lap. Still the fastest lap hmm. of, that, of that lap. And then 
I think he um was okay. Well, and then and then he just kept pace. He was third fastest, but he just kept pace with Newenhouse for the last two. Last lap he just he just he just went into cruise control, nine fifty eight. But that still was just third. Like um Newenhouse picked it up and was second and then Noah's first. And I'm not even sure who was who was second on that. Lars Vanderhaar. Lars Vanderhaar in 15th place was second. That second fastest lap on the final lap. Oh. Yeah, I mean, Yoris was Yoris was not not there after the the first couple laps. I mean, he was like maybe like six or eight seconds down after lap one. But I've never seen a situation where a race has been more over, <laughs> despite Yoris uh, sitting there. But he also benefited from the you know grab that hot wheel and and not grab it, but try to keep pace at least. And like no one else was doing anything, and so he got a really comfortable gap for second to get second on lock. Not right. It was like the the Sydney McGill uh, Magley Rochette, but there was like an eight second buffer or whatever because he still was keeping it. Yours went pretty hard, and but I mean Vanderpool was just like on like another level, and you know one thing that I caught that you mentioned the swale, just like watching him ride that was just so brilliant. Like he was using momentum back and forth, like through the swale, and other riders were doing this, but he just made it look so graceful and effort. I was just like, this is like next level bike riding. You know, he's on high, just swoop like left and right. You know, some people were trying to stay high on either side. And he was just like, Nope, I'm going to use gravity to just kind of like work my way through the section. And it was like, I don't know. I mean, it's right. Like he's so good. And I think maybe because last year was so compelling and amazing and just one of the best years of bike of cyclocross racing of our lifetimes, like it's been fun to enjoy like his craft this year. And I think there were opportunities to do that again at worlds because he is just so darn good at the sport of cyclocross. Well, and I think we were all, we are all nervous that he is coming to the kind of the end of his wanting to do cyclocross. And then that bore out afterwards, you know, before where he was talking about wanting to get the record. And then he just in, I mean, it's what we always talk about with Vanderpool that he just kind of does what he wants to do. It's like, nobody's dictating what his goals are except for him. And those might change. And now he's like, I'm not, I'm not sure I really want to do that. So, you know, I, I think you're right, Zach. And I think that, I don't know, maybe just subconsciously all of us kind of thought that we may be witnessing something that we're not going to witness that much of anymore. I, I, I will make the argument greatest cyclocross racer of all time. I will make the argument male or female. I, I mean, I think that let's say theoretically he does go for seven. Cause at one point this year he did admit like, Hey, I would like number seven. Like, yeah, that sounds like a challenge, you know? And that's good that, you know, for him, it's a challenge to show up and race 13, 12, 13 races and then win worlds next year in France. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a conversation that we'll be having. I, I'm still like amazed the extent to which more people didn't talk about the fact that Voss won her eighth back in Fayetteville uh, to set the record. But yeah, I think that's a conversation that will come up because Voss still has the the eight, and you know by the the scoring metric, I, I think I, I wrote about this uh, in the pending Bolton story that Vanderpool to by the 
totally arbitrary score that we used. Vanderpool still needs to win two more worlds and finish third at another one. So he needs two wins and a podium to, to match Voss's level of accomplishment in this totally arbitrary scoring system that we have right. created. And, and me saying that isn't taking anything away from Mariana Voss. Obviously, I would put her in the argument for greatest cyclist of all time. Yes. I just think if you can't, you you can't have these debates if all you're going to do is look at wins and 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 look at hardware because she's going at least on the world championship level she's going to beat him i think um you know victories overall does he does he have more than she has for that it's a good no, question it's, it's funny you ask that the answer because, is yes the answer is yes yeah because i because he races more cyclocross and that that's kind of what i'm getting at is like he is a he came up in the sport. This was he was a cyclocross racer first until he just burst on the scene and 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 did everything else. And I just think that this is a someone who has mastered the skills of the sport better than anybody else that's ever done it. Yeah, you you say yeah. Voss is a uh, Hall of Fame cyclist, and um, you know, and 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 you know, arguably like in the top three of all time cyclocross racers, whatever you want to, wherever you want to put her. I, and, and I know I'll, I'll get pushback for putting Vanderpool ahead of her, but, but I, I just think it's, it's, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, there's, we have evidence, not evidence. There's, there are stats that go his way. If he has more victories, I just think that, yeah, I, I think that her, she was able to, to win a lot on, on just her, her, power and her ability as a bike racer not necessarily her ability as a cyclocross racer again nothing to take i don't want no, i think that's a good misin- I think that's, misinterpreted i think that's a good point and i think that that is something that we see like we talk about how much we love the sport of cyclocross because of those unique skills that you have and how you have to have those to enable to do well and i think i think he has that immensely and everybody can see that i think that I think that if you looked at Puck and you looked at Femme and you looked at their skills and and how they race cyclocross, they are more pure cyclocross racers to me. I I enjoy watching them race cyclocross. I enjoy watching how they attack a course more in my own personal view than I enjoy watching Mariana Voss race cyclocross. Although she was, she is very tactically brilliant, which is why you can make that. Absolutely. different. But you're right in terms of like pure cyclocross. um, But I'm just spinning my head like no tactically you can't touch her she's like one of the smartest bike racers ever it just even you know even even when she's not as strong and that's the rare thing you've seen her in road races you've seen her in cyclocross racers she knows how to play everyone and that's that's part of her brilliance and i'm not discounting that all i guess i'm just looking at overall just like what I want to watch as a cyclocross racer, you know, I, I don't put her at the very top. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, before we get to the rest of the results, just uh, legacy watch, you know, we're talking about where does Vanderpool stand? So number six puts him second all time among the men, third all time among all cyclocross racers. Uh, he, 
So the other two, just I think out of longevity and Vanderpool, you know, crapping the bed at the aforementioned Valkenberg uh, race, currently sits in third place. Well, fourth place in our scoring system. Uh, Eric Devlamic is still the leader. He's got 58. Uh, Andre Dufray? Dufray? I don't know. He's French. Uh, he's got 56. Albert Zweifel, the Swiss rider of the 1970s-ish. He's got 56. And then Vanderpool comes in at 54. Kind of interesting uh, and some fodder for this uh, discussion that we're trying to foster once Sven Ness doesn't even crack the top 10, but Sven won, and this is based on Cyclocross 24 and what they have available. I think their results that they've dug up for this deck or for this millennium are pretty good. He's won 273 races. Like Vanderpool is like the second highest at 162 elite races. Like, so how does Sven fit into this? Yeah, because uh, he did like get over the over fifty results. World Cups. Yeah, over fifty World Cup wins. Right, isn't like fifty three or something like that. Yeah, uh, and yeah, but only only <laughs> what do you get? Three World Championships. Two, two. only two. Two. two World Championships. Nine podiums right. though, pretty good. Yeah. Like you know, he was uh, he like like Adrian Vanderpool had second on lock five times, which is kind of fitting for that family. Right. Like, uh, and Sven had third place on lock like five times, five times that he finished, uh, third place. Uh, so that's, that's your history watch. I think the numbers, the reality is Vanderpool's pretty good. Do you think Matthew Vanderpool's the, the French side of his family is upset with him for getting first too much because it, it, it's, it's against the family legacy. I feel like they're probably very glad. I think they're, I think they're okay with that. I, I want to just touch on the before we leave, but like the the, the idea of, of of Vanderpool maybe not doing cross again, and his sort of deciding that you know maybe he can't make it work. We as fans, what we want to see is we want to see him win big this spring. If he wins big this spring, he has a good road season. Let's get past the Olympics. I think that will encourage him that he can still work in the cross. I, th- I think, you know, realistically, he, he's talked about, like, you know, what you need. And, and Wout is obviously, Wout and Pitcock are already, you know, on that boat of getting, you know, they need those road miles. They need that big aerobic base. They need to spend time in the saddle to get ready for the road season. And as they get older, it's they need to do more work. And so I just, if he's successful then maybe that'll encourage him to do more cross. But honestly, like he could do a month, he a month of cross specific training and just drop into worlds and win. I feel like that could still happen. I feel like he's got the skills. Who is, who's going to beat Vanderpool? Who's going to beat a Vanderpool, you know, who's, you know, going at third gear, you know, like who, who's there, in the men's field, who is that strong? You know, I, I, well, think, I think it'd be even it'd be even more fun if he literally didn't touch a cyclocross bike. Yes, does like you know some people just do for like U.S. nationals or whatever. Just shows up and he's like, hey, doing doing worlds, like you know, because he'll still have the UCI points from ish. He'll have some UCI points. Just shows up and he's like, I'm here. Let's see what happens. And then goes out and win it, and we're like, "Wow, we just witnessed greatness." I think the it sets up perfectly. Dude, that, that that also, yeah. There you go, Let Vanderpool. You can do it that way as well. Also, you should get an exemption for the first row if you're last year's world champion. 
Just, just saying. So you're saying what we need from him is the the Holy Week double. Like he's got to got to win like Flanders and Roubaix. Yep. I I think the big one. I think that if he wins gold in Paris, yes, in in in, in mountain bike, then we have a better chance of seeing him come back. And I just want him to race worlds. I, I I'm I'm with you, Zach. I I I, I don't care. If he doesn't show up, I, I think that I think that after a while we talk about like the the, the part timers and and there used to be I don't know I never fell into this but you you, you would hear I don't know Sonic Kant's argument too she didn't like it when the roadies showed up at the end of the season and they were all fresh and they they could win which I which I it is an understandable argument since she's was racing all season long but with that guy I, I I feel like he's earned it. He's earned the ability to just kind of show up and not and still be like allowed to do that. That that would be the first row exemption and also exemption to show up just late in the season in race worlds. Yeah. I'm all for it. If we don't see if we don't see the 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 rainbow jersey the next year, I'm okay with it. Yeah, and I, I guess selfishly, you know, I, I want a situation where I'm 70 or 80 and we're still doing the media pit somehow. And we're like, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, people are like, oh, that Matthew Vanderpool, you know, kids are coming up and they're like, well, he only has six world championships. Who does that? What what a loser. Who is this area? And, and then you try to explain like, no, this guy's the greatest cyclist of all, the cyclist racer of all time. And they're like, but what, what? Six is not as many as seven. Just get the seventh. Just get the seventh. <laughs> Let's put to bed. Let's, you know, it's a nice number. He can walk away then. No, get the eight. Whatever it takes. Fine, fine. Whatever. Rick is seven uh, ties. He has to get eight. Oh, right. Because he's going to race in Holst. Because he's going to race in Holst against Wout, who is going to race cyclocross, and it's going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> Dear Matthew Vanderpool, my name is Zach. <laughs> I have a podcast and a website, and I really... I want to go to the world championships again it's not going to be in holst i would really like you to see to win the record break the record there yes you know there are a couple it's a couple typos in in my my email that you're going to send him oh no letter just to just post this you know just pen we'll find the address <laughs> send a card um so you know speaking about the rest of of this field you know who was sitting back here in the united states um just sitting back, looking at the results from these world championships and being like, yeah, yeah. Major Taylor Cross, race director of Major Taylor Cross, Marion University. They were just like, you race our race? You do really damn good at world championships. Zoe Backstead raced at Major Taylor Cross. She's a world champion. Yoris Neuenhaus. No one was talking about Yoris Neuenhaus. Like, we were talking about Yoris Neuenhaus after, you know, racing against Eric Bruner at Major Taylor Cross. He wins on day one there. Second place. He is so back. Major Taylor Cross having a moment at these world championships. I think that you'd, uh, it's your marketing material. Get people to your race. Start talk about sending emails. Start sending emails to, to you know, Haverdings and whoever else, you know, uh, Marie Schreiber. Yo, yo, Marie, you want results at Worlds. You disappointed with that fifth place. <laughs> Zoe Backstead raced our race. Zoe Backstead, world champion. Yours Newenhouse, no one was c- calling him for a podium. Second place, second place, elite, elite, elite world championships. I, I, to, to just prove your point, 
we were sitting in the uh, media room and they bring in the the podium for the uh, the awkward press conference that it's it's 99% photographer. There are no reporters in there. So they're like, okay, we're going to open it up for questions. And like, nobody's asking a question because they're like, that ain't the job, right? So I think there was like one guy that may have asked a question. It was, it was kind of funny because like Vanderpool wasn't even there yet. So it was, it was just uh, Yoris and Michael. Um, they're sitting in silence, says nobody would ask a question. And Ethan uh, Glading was, like, leans over to me and says, I dare you to ask Yuris if the bigger accomplishment this year was a silver medal at Worlds or winning Major Taylor. <laughs> so you, you were right there. And this is why Ethan and I are buds. <laughs> like, we think alike. <laughs> we are on the same wavelength. That is That is how the CX hairs media empire works is we are just all on, we are all one on the same wavelength. I love that anecdote. Yeah. Shout out to Yoris. Shout out to the Beardos. Um, great season. He, the best lion. I don't know. Like, did he seem to be, uh, who, who's the best lion this year? You know, who, which rider, Lucinda also second place. I mean, that's a we've had a lot of fun with this team this year. I think I think Pim was Pim was winning World Cups, right? I mean, yeah, Pim and then Pim. So (laughs) Yoris must have went on a break and a vacation something too. But Pim went to Park Cross and then got like thirteenth. So that but that kind of fits his season. Well, I'll ask it. I'll ask you this way, Bodie. So you are you are a um, Middle East oil baron and you're looking to get into the cyclocross game. So let's say you're starting the oil tankers. I don't know, I don't know what, what kind of product comes out of the middle. Look at the tankers. Well, you're starting the tankers. Who are you buying? Who are you buying from the Lions? You only get one Lion to buy. Who are you throwing? Who are you bringing your... And this your... is just for cyclocross. This isn't, this isn't, you can't like buy Tebow for like your world tour team. No, no. For cyclocross, yeah, who are okay. you bringing your little lorry, you know, your little Dutch lorry of cash money to and who are you dropping it off? Who are you buying? Well, first of all, I think I think I would just buy the Lions is what I would do. No, you only get to buy one of the four. You I only have- get to buy one of the four. Which one of the four are you buying, right? Because Pim's a little bit younger. Tebow's younger. Didn't we, I mean, didn't Lars we? is going into management. Do you buy management? Do you throw the money at management and give it to Lars? Because yours is not yours is not a spring chicken, you know. Yours has a few years on him. Which one? Are, which one are you buying? Are you buying the manager? Are you buying the man in his prime? Or are you buying the young talent? Who are you buying? I'm buying the man in his prime. I'm I'm Brian the Beardo. I'm buying Yoris Newenhouse. My man got second. My man won Major Taylor. He won Boom. Um, he's my guy. He 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 needs to get a full squad behind him, and he'll flourish even more. I'm with you. I think that I think we have a situation. We'll see, but I think the Lions might be riding for Yoris next year. I mean, I th- he he is a massive talent. Clearly, he's back on his cyclocross game. Last year, you know, we saw flashes of it, and this year, we've seen him really flourish when he's been able to commit to the sport. And I'm with you. I'm going with the man as prime. I'm going to get like potentially four or five good years out of him. Uh, I think he's going to be the Lions' top dog next year. Another thing that I, I'm just thinking about this now, an older men's podium than we've seen in a while. 
which is just wild to think of. I was looking at the ages too. I was kind of, I was like, yeah, it is kind of older in cycling terms. Bill, what do we got? But it's it's kind of funny. But it's it's kind of a it's skewed because it's almost like the same people, except you put Yoris in there for like wow, yeah, right? Who are who's pretty much they're pretty close in age as well. But you it, but you can go back to like you know I don't know like Zolder, right? It's the same people. <laughs> it's just now, <laughs> just now they're seven or eight years older. But. I feel it's worth, it's probably worth like, I mean, before we get to th- that and my, I think my final trivia question, we're talking about, you know, Mikey V. Uh, it wasn't a jersey, but Bill, did did Mikey V save Sven's job? I think that realistically, Sven's job is in the hands of Remco. So... <laughs> His his job will be safe if, if Remco if Remco can repeat as world champion. Like he's riding on that right now. He got Belgium a world champion in road. So I, I think he's safe. But if we were just to say like as as a, as a cyclo the cyclocross part of the coach, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I'd be curious to ask Michael, which was more important, winning Euros or getting a Belgium on the world podium? That would be an interesting question. Which was bigger, getting a Belgian on the world's podium or winning Euros for you? Why didn't I mean, he- I'm sure for him in his pocketbook, he's going to say Euros. Yeah, that would have been an interesting question to have a photographer ask in the, in the interview post-race. <laughs> Last trivia question. Uh, so this came to mind because I was like, man, yours has not won very many elite races. And I was like, I wonder. And I was just like, got to be the guy, the male of this millennium uh, who has finished on a podium. Fewest elite wins is true. He's only won five. He only has five elite wins. More to come. So this isn't the best comparison. Uh, who... And you'll know one of these are second and third for men who finish on podium in elite worlds who have the fewest number of elite victories. Well, I'm going Jonathan page right off the bat. Uh, no, but that is another interesting tidbit that I wanted to get to. So thank you for reminding me that uh, he has 16 wins, 16 career wins. Okay. 25% of that man's wins are U.S. Cyclocross National Championships. <laughs> all, literally all Jonathan Page I does forgot, you know, is I was, win I was, U.S. National Championships. I was, I was thinking just about European races. Oh, that's, yeah, so that's skewed. Okay. Uh, so this is across the board. I mean, I again, this was done during a work meeting. I didn't have time to parse out. I had to, like, go through and take out U23. And fun fact, like Vanderpool won like 60 races as a junior and half a year as a U23. That's how good he like, like 60. That bit was insane. But anyway, that's besides the point. All right. Top two. You'll know one mm. of them. You know, one of them for sure. Uh, Tom Pitcock. Yes. Tom Pitcock is third with 10. I have no idea. Oh, on, wait, wait, so he, he was he was the easy one because he's just the outlier, but he's third. Yeah, let me give it the year. So Frenchman Francis Moray. So this, re- this result occurred in 2012 at Coxida. 
the other Van Turnout? Klaus. Well, I know that that was that was two. Uh, okay, so that was the race that was. You basically had seven Belgian riders all lined up at Coxida, and that was the race that Niels Albert was yelling at them uh, that it was his race. Niels Albert did were, win. Yes. Yeah. It was kind his of race. having that. They were, he was just like kind of going up and just making sure everybody knew that he was the one that was going to win in this line of, of seven, seven Belgians. Um, I feel like Powell's was up there. I can't, I can't. He finished in Kevin. Okay. <laughs> Aptly. He finished in Kevin. I, I don't know who else was on the podium. It was Rob Peters. Rob Peters. Wow. Eight, eight career elite wins. Huh. Damn. Uh, so now, Bodie, I think it's funny that you bring up our favorite, our favorite Christmas time Frenchman, you know, wishing Maury Christmas. You're doing him dirty, man. The man won 97 career races. That man had France on lock. Francis wow. Moray has won 97 career races. Uh, so who, fun trivia, our scoring system, he had two points. He finished third once. Next closest man, the next going down the list, man with the most wins, less than 10 points on our scoring system. Who was the next? Who is the Moray, Moray of Belgium? Sven. No, he won like 273. Uh, few, uh, oh. next, f- no points in world, no world points, lots of wins. No world's points, lots of wins. Few world's points. He has four total world's points of our arbitrary scoring system. And Tornout? Ailey Iserbeet. He is stacking dubs. 46. Mm. 47. Sorry. I stand. Did he just win that, that race that happened the other he day? He did, yeah. 48. Did, yeah. 48 wins. Ailey Iserbeet is the Francis Moray of Belgium. Wow. All right. Uh, we should probably like wind this down. I, I, I do have one park cross and just, just sort of, and not even park cross, but going into post world. Mm, Sweckuary. Thank you very much. Sweckuary. Do that again. Do, do your, do your bit again. Smooth. No, that was really good. I, that was well, well done. Uh, but that, that is the question that I'm going to ask is Verdun shot the new Sweck. Hmm. I mean, time will tell. Hmm. I like it. Me like it. I like it. I've been trying to will Verdun shot into being a thing for so long now. And she was so excited by her fifth place finish. Yeah, no, she basically was like, I never thought I'd get back to this point. So this, yeah. So I, I think this is, I think this is going to be it. I think she's going to go off on this, in this next month. She did win Hulst when weeks. it was in February and it was a Brico cross race. So there's precedent for her to have a post a world's win. Let's see if it happens this year. Go off queen, right. go off. <laughs> any, any, anything else we have to cover? Do we have one more thing, Michael? 
No, because the thing is so big that we we we're we're out of time. But we we should talk about next week. Maybe we'll have more details. The the new proposed World Cup schedule and arrangement. Very interesting. Yeah. No, we do need to talk about this. We were joking about it a little before Zach just and how Flanders was like, we need as many races as we can. And now they're like, we don't want all of these races. Please take so, them back. Yeah. Hot dog guy <laughs> meme. I think you should leave Tim Anderson, the hot dog guy meme, Flanders classics. We'll talk about that next time. <laughs>